the problem with being named Marshall and also being an Eminem fan is like, you know, yeah. Th- there's the comparison. At least your name's not Stan and being an Eminem fan. That'd be funny. What if my name was Marshall Stan? <laughs> Marshall Stan Buck. <laughs> Welcome to episode 285 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for this week, another episode of Exciting Design Thingies. The strangest thing happened this morning, Marshall. What's that? I woke up with a New York accent. (laughs) What you're hearing right now is a very conscious effort to go back to the normal way of talking. Uh, uh My natural way now is just like really hard R's and stuff like that, you know. Oh man, this is the second time we've mentioned accents in a row. Um, Oh God, who tweeted at us that they wanted us to do English accents. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I think that's probably a bad idea. But you live in New York now, which is what we're getting at here. Oh yeah, 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 coming at you live. Our three days delayed from New York. Uh, We made it last night. I made it last night with with my puppy dog, Taco. We are in uh, an apartment, not our final apartment, but we are in a apartment and we're starting the house hunt. So exciting times. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you, man. It's going to be fun. I've never actually been to New York, so I'm looking forward to coming out and visiting you. I'm looking forward to you coming and visiting and getting a movie night in. By the way, uh, going back to the thing, that was Jack McCormick who, who recommended that we do the accents on Twitter. So Jack, thank you for the gauntlet you have put us <laughs> put in front of us. Uh, we will not take that bait. That's bait. <laughs> All right, but we do have a good episode, so we got a little bit, <laughs> despite this intro. This is what happens when we don't have an ad read. We just bullshit for three minutes. So, yeah, so follow-up. Uh, last week, we uh, had a question from a listener who asked about letting and uh, baseline grids, and we kind of gave the answer that it was like, well, it's hard to make it perfect across every platform and you can't account for where that baseline will fall within a given text box, even, you know, even among the same platform, depending on whatever. So it's, it's really hard, especially when it comes to web and different browsers and blah, blah, blah. It's hard. And we, I think our answer was ultimately just picking a unit and making sure that all of your, all of your components and, and padding and margins conform to that unit whether that's four points or two points unless it breaks optical alignment in which case cheat then cheat yeah yeah so uh, we got a reply from listener anton oh man names osipov osipov sure yeah. and he said uh, he sent us a picture which i think he was saying that this is a better way than what we said but i think it's kind of what we were saying to do but it's a good visual so it's worth yeah. looking at absolutely yeah i think he's he's doing a good job of showing why this is a good way of doing it so uh, using those units as your as your baseline so uh, we'll we'll link to this tweet here but uh, it's got a really nice uh, visual layout of what it looks like if you don't use those atomic units and what it does look like if you do. So thank you, Anton. Much appreciated with the visual aid. I uh, also had another follow-up. Uh, I got a DM from Zane Koja. Hope I'm pronouncing that last name right. Zane mentioned after last week, uh, my cool thing was the sort of who.design series of websites. So Blacks Who, Women Who, yeah, Blanks Who.design. Uh, Zane pointed out that perhaps the first iteration of this was students who dot design so students who design um, which isn't 
it's not quite the same because it's not the same layout, but basically it links to a medium publication called Students Who Design. And each article in the publication is highlighting an individual student who is doing design. So it's kind of like a interview series, right? I think this is actually just a podcast. But anyways, the the URL students who dot design redirects here. So perhaps this was the first uh, X who dot design. So thanks, Zane, for the DM and, and letting us know about that. Sweet. All right. I think that does it for follow-ups. Uh, we do have a listener question this week, and then I'm going to explain something to you as though you are five. Mm. Okay. So this week we have a listener question from Anonymous, and it is anonymous because it's about uh, negotiation and talking about salaries and the job interview process. So this person sent this a couple weeks ago. I've since heard good news from them, but I think it's a good question regardless. So here we go. I wanted to ask for advice. I'm about to change jobs and soon I'll have an initial call with someone from one of the companies I could work for. I don't want to invest too much of my time in multiple calls and meetings with them before being sure the offer meets my expectations, especially in terms of salary. Uh, However, I don't want to be considered as one of those guys who cares only about money. So my question is, what is the right moment to talk about salary? Should that be something to be talked about during the very first call, maybe later? And for extra context, in this case, it was the company who reached out to this designer. So, Marshall, when do you bring up salary in a job negotiation? Mr. Uh, Lifer at Google. <laughs> yeah, the, the man with the most experience on this thing. No, you, uh, you've, you've gone through this a few times. Not really. Oh, no? The first, the first job I had, I've had two jobs, each, well, the first for eight years, the second for seven years, so... Not the best person to ask, but I'll give my opinion anyways, because why not? The first job I took, they gave me a number, and I think I've said this on the on the podcast before, but they, yeah, they gave me a number, and it was bigger than anything I was ever making at the time. It was like double what I was making with three jobs, Yeah. so I didn't negotiate at all. I just said, yes, please. When, when can <laughs> I start? Right. Uh-huh. And then uh, my Google job, I did negotiate a bit. It was during the initial stage. And I think that recruiters know that there are prerequisites you have for taking any job or considering any job, and I don't think they would be offended. Maybe your fellow colleagues that you'd be working with every day might be offended if they knew, like if that's what you're worried about, like I don't want to be seen as a money person, right? But the recruiters who you're talking to and discussing with initially, like this, like they're used to this stuff, like they don't, they don't care. And if they can't give you more, they'll just tell you they can't give you more. But yeah, I would bring it up early, especially if if a low number would be an absolute deal breaker, especially if if you have a current job that you're happy at. And the only draw would be to do everything that you're doing now and getting the fulfillment that you're getting now, but plus more money or plus more responsibility or something. So asking for what the money is, is I don't think it's out of the ordinary, nor is it a thing to look down on. It's more of like, hey, this is this is what I need in order to say yes. I can give you a, a quicker no or get to yes faster if I if I know what this number is. Does that make sense? Yep, totally agree. I think I would add maybe two small sub points. So I think the first sub point would be just to remember that I think it's really easy to get this feeling that the company is giving you money and it feels it can feel a little bit like a one-way deal like oh I need this company to give me this job. When in fact, it's usually the opposite that's true. The company really needs your skills and they're trying to buy your skills. And I think flipping that mindset a little bit makes it a little bit easier to talk about the money side because they are trying to buy something that you are going to, in theory, 
have a multiple return value from like if they're paying you a hundred thousand dollars they're probably hoping that your efforts and your skills will you know bring in a million dollars or something like that yeah and it's it's salary too so you know you might and likely will be working more than 40 hours a week, (laughs) you know, right. And they don't pay you more when you work more. So, right. Um, figure out what you're worth and figure out what your deal breakers are. And then, yeah, I I think it's a benefit to both you and the company. If you can get to a no faster, if no is going to be the answer rather than doing this dance. And then after weeks of going back and forth, realizing that you have different expectations than the company does. Totally. Um, the only like second sub point I'd add just to add a little context to that is I think it does depend a little bit on the size of the company you're applying at. So for oh, yeah. example, like, you know, the Google recruiters, these people deal with the shit all the time. It's not a big deal for them to hear a salary negotiation. And there are people who have, they have hired who make a lot more money than you're going to ask yeah, for. <laughs> you're, you're not going to be an edge case most likely. <laughs> no. But if you are applying for perhaps a dream job that is startup employee number two, there's just a different mindset that goes into that. So maybe this question would not even be relevant because I think people going into that have this understanding that they're probably going to make less money and they, and the trade-off there is they get a lot more ownership and, and sort of yep. autonomy in the role. So yeah, yeah, I would, I would just yeah add that as like a context wrapper that maybe the company size does impact this. Because if you're applying at a small, at a, I don't know, small company and, and you bring up salary pretty early, it might be a red flag like, hey, your expectations are not actually aligned with what we're trying to accomplish right now. Yeah, great, great point. Yeah, and and you also raised a really good point of like the it's, there's an equation, right? Like, uh, how much does money mean to you? Can can less money be offset by other things? You know, like passion for whatever it is that you're going to be working on, or um, the ability to control things, or you know, a, a, a team size that fits with what you're expecting or, you know, like there are a lot of other things that could outweigh a low salary number that they give you. Totally. Have you seen the, those studies? It's like, here are the things that people value most at their job and money's actually usually halfway down the list. Yeah. Usually below like commute and the people I work with. Liking your manager. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Good manager. Uh, Solves an interesting problem. Yep. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you don't want to get up and go, and to work on the thing you're supposed to be working on every day, no amount of money is going to get you out of bed. Yeah. Well, okay. Some amount of money that everyone has a price, but like, I don't know. Chances even, are, that, even that feels, ugh, I don't yeah. know. You got to love I, the thing you work on and everything else come, goes from there. Or at least yeah. for me, like if I don't believe in the product I'm working on, the, the money is, is not enough to keep me happy. So that's tangential to the question, but it sounds like we're both on the same page that there's nothing wrong with bringing up salary relatively early like maybe you don't lead with that or maybe maybe that question gets blended in with like tell me more about the team tell me more about the the responsibilities yeah they might not give you an exact number but they can give you a ballpark yeah but also like even if you don't make it the only question like that still helps right yeah oh yeah yeah you nest it within a lot of other innocuous questions (laughs) sandwich that bad boy yeah and then and if you're not comfortable asking for a specific thing like here's what i expect you could go about it the other way of saying like what is the pay band for the level that i'll be hired in at right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's usually a defined range that they can tell you so it'll give you at least a ballpark of knowing like okay maybe i'm coming in at the low end of this or the high end and then way from there yeah cool good advice brian well let's not pat ourselves on the back too much (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I'm just saying from you, uh, you had some really good points there. Oh, well, I think we agreed, but I, I would also like to hear what other people think too, because I think uh, yeah. salary negotiations is just also an inherently tricky subject. And <sighs> between you and I, we don't have that much experience with it. Nope. Um, so I think we caveated pretty, <laughs> pretty so. adequately, but yeah. But maybe other people that are listening, if you have advice or you found things that worked for you or, you know, I, I could give one example of something that worked for me was uh, when I was going through this at Facebook, I literally just asked the question. Um, I think I've said this on the show before. I just said, is there anything you can do about equity? Like what, 10 words or something. And they ended up, they just interpreted that as like, hey, I need a little bit more. And they bumped it up a little bit. Like, I, I don't know. That's not <laughs> negotiation strategy, but uh, it was a, a tip slash trick that worked for me. So maybe other people could learn from it. I don't know. Yeah, you can clue them into an area that you're a little bit questionable about without coming out and saying, hey, I need more money, right? Or I need more equity. You need to help me out here. It's like, is there anything you can do about this specific area? Yeah. And that happened, uh, obviously, post-offer because there, there was a number on the table that said, and I said, is there anything you can do about that number? So there was a, a stage of the process as well that helped to make that a more comfortable question. Yeah. So even when an offer is out, it's it's not over. You can still tweak from there. Oh, that's when you tweak. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So yeah, if, if you are listening and have other things that have worked for you, we would love to hear them. Cool. Good question, though, Anonymous. Yes, thank you, Anonymous. Okay, Marshall, I've been hearing a lot about a video game on the internet, and as the resident design details expert in video games, uh -huh. so tell me about Apex Legends. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I've been bugging you about this game for a couple weeks now. And recently, Charlie Dietz, friend of the show, friend of the pod, fan <laughs> of the show, uh, Charlie wrote a really great Medium article about the things that I've been bugging you that I wanted to talk about. So I think that was what, what pushed you over the edge. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. I was like, see, I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy. Okay, Brian, have you heard of a game genre called Battle Royale? I have. Okay. So um, do you know what it's based on? I think I learned this after the fact. Isn't it based on a movie? Yeah, which is also based on a novel. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a book called Battle Royale written as a, a Japanese book about these high school students in kind of a dystopic future Japan where one class is chosen every year to be sent to this island where they are all given a random set of weapons and the last surviving student is set for life. This is basically the Hunger oh, Games Hunger before Games. the Hunger Games. Yeah. Cool. And apparently the, the author of Hunger Games said she had never heard of Battle Royale. It's just like, sure. It's the whole idea of like <laughs> deadly American Idol is, is just kind of a good idea anyways, regardless. Okay. But yeah, so um, this is the genre. So that outline is, is basically the setup of this. It's like, here's a bunch of people. Uh, you all start out basically naked and there's guns and, and other weapons scattered around and whatever you can find to uh, hurt others and protect yourself, um, the last one standing wins. Okay. And there's a bunch of different games you've probably heard of. PUBG or Player Unknown's Battlegrounds or, I don't know, Fortnite, that little game that yeah. <laughs> gets talked about every once in a I've while. I've heard a thing or two about that. Yeah. There's Blackout, uh, Call of Duty. Yeah, Call of Duty has their own entry called Blackout, yes. Um, there's also mobile versions, so PUBG has its own mobile version. Yeah, and there's, there's no shortage of entries into this uh, genre, which is relatively new as genre, video game genres go. 
Okay, so the the newest entry into this genre is called Apex Legends. It's from a company called Respawn Entertainment, which is famous for its Titanfall series, Mm -hmm. if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. And the really cool thing about how they rolled this game out is that they didn't tell anybody that they were working on it, and they kept it a secret. It was a complete surprise. They came out one day and just said, hey, we got a whole new game. It's fully functional. It's free to play. You can play it today. Have fun. Um, which is crazy. Most video games, because of the cost and everything, have multi-million dollar, or at least these AAA type games, have multi-million dollar marketing campaigns behind them. You see them on the side of buses and billboards and everything, and there's market saturation so that when the game does finally come out, everyone who knows about it can either pre-order it or buy it and start playing it on day one, right? Right. Okay. This is like the opposite of that. It was like nobody knew about it, and because of... The gaming community, like word spreads like wildfire. So this thing came out and it was immediately, you know, the number one streamed game and every major streamer was playing it and huge numbers of VODs and everything. So uh, it became huge. And, And part of the reason that I find it so interesting, aside from that stealth campaign that they did, that the, the stealth drop that they came up with, is that it builds upon its predecessors. It builds upon uh, the things that PUBG and Fortnite um, and Blackout have come up with, but it adds a bunch of new stuff on top of that, which makes the core mechanics of the game much easier to accomplish. Okay, give me an example. So I'm going to talk about a few things, but the biggest thing and the main point of Charlie's article here is the ping system. Okay. So if you can imagine these types of these types of games require a ton of of coordination with your team. The previous games have you can go in solo, but this game requires you to be part of a team of three. Okay. So there's matchmaking. So you could get put with somebody who doesn't have a microphone, who you've never met before, might not have ever played the game before, right? And you're kind of stuck with them until you win or lose, right? This is like the Overwatch problem in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Matchmaking is tough. Or yeah, matchmaking in general, yeah. Yeah, matchmaking is hard. But, uh, and, and this game relies upon your team either being pre-decided where you're going in with two friends or you're in with randos. So, But you have to play with three. As part of that, you need to communicate. You need to talk with each other and say, hey, there's a, there's a team over here, or hey, I found this particular weapon if anybody needs it, or I'm going to go flank around this side while you guys distract over here, or, you know, there's a bunch of things you need to say in order to be successful. You have to, you have to communicate, and that makes it really difficult if people don't have a microphone or if people otherwise are... Um, unwilling to have their voice heard whether you know if, if, if you're a woman playing video games online you're probably going to get a ton of shit from assholes so you might be less likely to want to have your female voice be heard because then that opens you up to a whole bunch of bullshit so they have implemented this ping system that i find fascinating it solves all of these problems and it does it in the most elegant way so the way that you ping uh, they've assigned it to and this is what i find probably the most interesting thing. They've they've assigned the button on PC to a very prominent button, which is middle mouse click, right? Like left click is A number one, right click is is number two, and middle mouse is right between those two. It's, it's on your middle finger. It's always easily accessible. You don't have to reach for it or anything. It's right there. So they, they put this action in a place of extreme prominence. Wait a second. Hang on. Quick pause right there. Mm-hmm. You click 
middle mouse with your middle finger. Do you right click with your ring finger? Yeah. What the fuck? Well, depending on if I'm just using a mouse normally, I right click with my middle finger. But if I'm playing a game, I keep a finger on each. <sighs> okay. Because okay. usually like right click is ADS, like aim down well, sights. Well, I, I get it that it would be more efficient. I've just, uh, I guess I've not leveled up that much. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> okay. So you're, you're three finger mousing it. Got it. Yeah. 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 It's not necessary. You can switch back and forth. But yeah, like I was saying, the middle mouse is the trigger for this action. And the cool thing is that because it's so smart, because the ping system is so smart, you only need one button for everything. So here's how it works. It's dynamic. So the game knows whatever your reticle, your, your crosshair, your, your essentially your cursor in the middle of the screen, whatever it's pointing at, and whenever you hit middle mouse, it will try to figure out what's under your crosshair and do the right thing. So if you're pointing at an enemy, it will use the ping that says, hey, there's an enemy over here. If you're pointing at just a place on the ground, it will say, hey, I'm going to go over here. If you're pointing at uh, a piece of armor, it'll say, hey, there's this piece of armor over here. Or if you're pointing at some other, like a weapon that somebody else has pinged, you can point at that and ping it and you'll call dibs on that weapon so nobody else takes it before you do. Okay. There's a ton of functionality. Those are just a few of the use cases, but it's it's super in-depth and, and you never have to think about it. There's a wheel that you can pull up that you can choose from like eight different things to say. Okay. Like enemies have been here or I'm going to go loot over there or let's try this position or whatever. Um, there's lots of different things you can say if you want to, but you don't, you don't necessarily have to pull that wheel up. You can just point at a thing and the game will almost always do the right thing. Um, you can even go into your inventory and point at an, an empty slot, like say you don't have a helmet. You can ping your helmet slot and it'll tell your teammates not only with an icon on their screen, but also with a voice line from the character that you're playing. All of these things have associated voice lines. It'll say, hey, I need a helmet, right? So even if the person doesn't have a microphone, you can still communicate all of these things that you would want to communicate otherwise using one button, which I think is so fucking elegant and impressive. And they've implemented it so well. I think this will probably influence the future of all game design when it comes to communicating without a microphone. What's what's prior art here for building communication systems? Like what were previous interactions that allowed people to do this that has now been simplified to the one button? Yeah, I mean, well, okay, so there's the dumbest way or like the, you know, the simplest way, which is you just have like a group chat. So there's a, there's a, you hit enter and it brings up a chat interface in the bottom left. Overwatch does this, right? And you can do a match chat. Slow, takes your hand off the mouse. Yeah, exactly. You have to shift. And yeah, anytime your hand is off the mouse in a fast paced game like Apex Legends or any of these battle royales where someone could pop around a corner and ruin the last 30 minutes of your effort in, in a couple seconds, you don't want to ever be caught off guard. So keeping your hands on WASD, W-A-S-D, and, and the mouse is necessary in order to actually be good at the game. So other ways people have done this, yeah. So there's the there's a simple chat, and that can be broken down to like chat to everybody, chat to my team, or chat to the match, so both us and to the opponents. But not only is that bad because you can you have to take your hands off of the mouse, but it also opens up a whole area for abuse and uh, moderation of that abuse, and um, it's just a it's just a great way to allow toxicity on your platform. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and Apex Legends is not the first game to implement a ping system. This is not brand new. It's just the best 
implementation of it that I've ever seen, and I think a lot of people have ever seen. Yeah, it's just really well thought out. So um, does that answer your question? Yeah, and and it seems like the implementation, though, is the deciding factor. Like, if even if you have the simplicity of the, the single button, if it's inaccurate or it points at two overlapping things and it guesses the wrong one, then it be, almost instantly becomes worth it. Like, you basically have to have complete trust in the system, it would seem like. Otherwise, you wouldn't use it at all, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and I think it engenders that like, trust. It seems like giving an accidental wrong command is way worse than the benefit of giving a right command. Yeah, I mean, you can always cancel. So if you middle click on a thing that you've already middle clicked on, it it will give you a prompt to cancel when you hover over it. So just doing the same thing twice will undo the original. And I think your character even has like a nevermind type uh, line to go along with that. Got it. Okay. But yeah, so so here's the things you can say with, with a ping. You can say, let's go here, or there's an enemy there, or I'm going to loot this area, which means try to find armor and weapons, or let's attack here, so let's all move here, or I'm going here, or I'm defending this area, or I'm watching here, or someone's been here. So all these maps, you, you drop in and there's a bunch of loot everywhere and all the doors to every building on the map are closed. So if you come into an area that you haven't been in before and the doors are closed, it's probably a good sign that it hasn't been looted yet and nobody's been there. If the doors are open, that means like, hey, somebody's been here, they might still be here, right? So being able to just like click on an open door or go into your wheel and say someone's been here and communicate that to your team, lets everybody know that you're on alert and uh, sets you up to be in the right state. So there's a few other things. So the, 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 the ping system was the one that I really wanted to, to talk about, but there's a lot of other good innovations they've done here. So as I mentioned, when you start a map, when you fly in, you start kind of on a, an airplane and all the games have this in common. You the, the map is a giant island and you can choose to jump out of the airplane wherever you want to. It, it has a predefined flight path that is different every time, but you can choose when you jump out and what area you want to go to. And the areas on the map are defined by the level of loot that they have there and the higher levels of loot. Like the more the more valuable those levels of loot are, the more likely it is that a bunch of people will go there, which means you're more likely to get killed if you go there and don't find a weapon right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like high risk, high reward kind of a thing. Okay. But the problem with this, and for example, in, in Battlegrounds, um, PUBG, the problem is you would all have to have microphones and be listening and pay attention uh, and coordinate your drop time because everybody drops on their own. Um, and if somebody drops too late, they have a hard time meeting back up with the group. So so the way they got around this is they have a jump master, I think is the term. Yeah, they have a jump master, which basically assigns one person in your group of three the ability to say when to jump and where to fly to and parachute to after that, right? So you can just sit back if you're not in control. If you're not the jump master, you just sit back and you'll end up with your team on the ground, right? And at any point, you can choose to split off and do your own thing. And uh, in addition to this, they add color smoke behind each team of three. So you can look around in the sky as you're dropping down and see all the other teams. You can see their like their trails behind them, and so you can see exactly where they're headed and what kind of area they're going to land in. So you know how many teams are going to be around you when you do land, and how how urgent the need to find armor and weaponry will be uh, upon your landing. Right? Where? Hang on. Pause there. So I feel like that is nice, but almost sounds a little bit handholdy from the game's perspective. Versus, there's no 
trails and it's a surprise like it would it's more like real life would be mm, yeah like what what what's the balance there and between the game telling you too much versus letting like the inherent challenge of the combat system work itself out so pubg and i believe fortnite they i mean you can look around and see um parachutes so you could always like kind of tell where other people were you can see little dots in the sky or parachutes as they're you know once they've opened them up and it's easy to see the groups around you this just helps identify it's just more information it doesn't necessarily give you an advantage necessarily or hold your hand it's just like here's a better way of displaying this information that you're already looking for anyways okay so that you can be better informed when you do land on the ground um, but that's a good question yeah i just wonder like how how far along being better informed goes to like knowing so much that it's easier but i guess everybody has the same information so i don't know yeah yeah it's equal right yeah so when everyone's special no one is <laughs> right right <laughs> to quote the incredibles so that's really interesting with that that jump master thing. It just it's just like a, a simple solution that solves a bunch of problems at once, right? Not only how many people are dropping or are we all drop, dropping at the same time, and where are other teams going, and how do I make the best decision about where where to go? Because we might want to avoid other teams and being able to very quickly glance at the sky and 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 calculate trajectories based on the direction of the smoke is enough to make that decision really quickly, and it can avoid a lot of team infighting. Of like, you know, I didn't want to jump or you were too late. You know, there's like a lot of problems that are that are avoided by this system. Right, right. And you have other pings that you can do while you're dropping. So you can you can approve of it and say, okay, so while you're in the ship, you can say, let's drop here or let's drop there just by doing the middle middle click pinging thing. And you can reply to those things by saying, okay, that's cool or no, or I can't. Um, I can't. Uh, Charlie calls this out, which I also thought was really interesting. I can't is a strange thing. Like normally you just want like yes or no, right? Like yes or no sounds sounds like plenty of options. But I can't, um, Charlie says, provides you a way to say, I don't disapprove of your choice, but I think we're physically unable to get there. So I see. Um, it's just a way to be polite <laughs> with a single click. That's nice. I think more yeah. games need polite mechanics. Dude, yeah. And I think this is part of it too, is like, you know, you're almost encouraged to not use your microphone. Maybe not encouraged. Maybe that's the wrong word, but like being able to avoid the option to like get mad at your teammates and have your your mad voice be heard by them. If you can use these finite pings, it encompasses the entire range of things you might want to say, but doesn't say any of them like a dick, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, which I think is ideal. Okay, um, let me let me pause one more time here. So I think that's super ideal. I, I that's like one of the biggest problems with Overwatch is just in general. Like you have a lot of communication problems and then when you they do introduce the communication, people are usually dicks about it. But as I'm listening to you go, talk about all these things, it sounds like your middle mouse clicking a ton. Is there any like wiggle room there for an accidental scroll? If you like click and scroll a little bit, like what happens in those cases? So I haven't played this game. I've only watched a bunch of it. Like Battle <laughs> okay. Royale games aren't really Still my... haven't played. <laughs> no, I mean, I'd rather waste my time watching people win than than losing myself. But um, okay. it's like sports, you know. I, I would rather yeah, watch yeah, sure. a, a pro player be good at it than be bad myself. You'd rather watch the NBA than go play basketball under the bridge. Shoot hoops in my backyard. Yeah, exactly. So I haven't played this, but I have talked to people who have played it. And they said that one of the first things they do is they turn off 
or they they unbind scroll up and scroll down due to spurious scrolling when they're trying to middle click. Oh, so it doesn't do that for you automatically. No, I think I mean I think scroll up and down is usually change weapon, like cycle through your weapons. I see. So if you accidentally change your weapon while you're trying to middle click and then you have to do it back, like there there's already numbers assigned to your weapon, so 1 2 3 um for gun 1, gun 2 and unarmed. So I think they they kind of encourage you to hit one two three instead of using the scroll the scroll wheel. So yeah, if 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 you are playing this, probably you will, unless you can like tighten up the resistance on your scroll wheel, I would I would probably get rid of that because yeah, that th- that is one downfall. It just seems weird for a game that seems to be doing so much for sensible defaults that they wouldn't just make that the sensible default. Like you have to, it's opt in to scroll wheel behavior since there's already a better input for it, which is the numbers. Yeah, I mean scroll for weapons is universal that's like any game where you're well basically any game where you can hold a gun scroll wheel will cycle through your guns yeah i i get it but no other game has the middle click as such a core component of the gameplay so anyways i don't know maybe they have reasons yeah usually i put like melee like punch on my middle click right yeah and that's another that's another aspect of this is the key bindings So like I mentioned, W is forward. So uh, if you look at your keyboard, WASD, if you've never played video games on a PC before, um, uh, WASD is the terms for basically up, left, down, right. So W is forward, uh, A is left, D is right, and S is backwards. So that's basically your home row while you're playing a video game uh, with your left hand. So having like the, the keys that are in direct proximity to those four keys become highly valuable. So... Q, E, the le- the characters below, not so much, but like control, shift, the whole left side. So control, shift, tab, uh, escape, one, two, three, four, um, R, F, C, X, Z. All of these buttons become super valuable because they're within reach range of your, of your home row, mm-hmm. right? And they've done some smart things, which I think they've gotten from other games. For example, Overwatch. Um, if you've played Overwatch before, you know that every character has only a few different unique abilities, and those are assigned to usually left shift, E, and then you have an ultimate ability, which is a thing that doesn't happen very often. You have to build it up, but when you do, it's a very powerful ability, hence ultimate, and that's on Q. So it's it's easy to hit, but not right under any of your fingers, but it's nearby. And this game has a very similar thing. So. Uh, one of their advances or one of their additions to this genre is is including classes, much like Overwatch does. So you have a healer class, you have a class that's good at stealth, you have a class that's good at like tanking, you know, has shields and stuff. Mm-hmm. And every every class has its own ultimate that is catered to that class. And that is, I think, by default mapped to Q, which is just like Overwatch. So yeah, I think they've learned some things from other games, obviously, by watching this. Another example of that is the tier coloring system. So if you've played any Blizzard game, and I think this is kind of bled out into every every other game that uses a tier system, but it's a it's a regular pattern that if you have different tiers of armor or weapons, you can color code those. And and kind of the color coding system that the industry has rallied around is that the most common things, the most low value things, those are white or gray. And then a step up from that is blue. 
Mm-hmm. And step up, step up from that is purple. Purple. And the, mm-hmm. the top tier is usually orange or yellow or gold or something, yep. right? Yep. So at a glance, even if you're colorblind, the colors are unique enough that you can tell the difference between these tiers at a quick glance. So as you're as you're running through a building, and if you see a purple gun on the ground, or, or say a purple uh, chest piece of armor, and you're wearing blue you can very, very easily pick that thing up. And the game does a really smart thing where is if, if the thing is on the ground is worse than the thing you have on, it won't let you pick it up. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So here, here's a good example. So if there's a, if there's a purple chest piece on the ground and I'm wearing a blue chest piece, it'll let me pick it up. If I put on that purple chest piece and then I get shot a bunch and that, and that purple chest piece has like no armor left on it, I can now pick up the blue one because it, it's actually better it than the one. It has more. Right. I see. But they do a really good thing here where is so in, in PUBG, when you pick up armor, that armor is basically extra health points, but they are one-time use. So if you put a helmet on and you get shot in the head a bunch and that, that helmet gets broken, it's it's gone forever. Whereas with this game, you pick up a helmet, you pick up a chest piece, they can have their, their armor depleted, but you can renew that armor armor without having to find new stuff so all you have to do is find shield cells to to rebuild that armor that you're already wearing make sense yep so it's less it takes away this problem that PUBG has of like every time you get shot at you're constantly looking for better armor or you're or you're shooting at somebody else and you're trying to avoid shooting them in the head because you want their helmet right oh i see yeah right because like okay i i want to kill this guy but i gotta I got to shoot him in the body a bunch of times, which makes it harder because I want to want his helmet and I don't want to ruin the helmet I'm about to go pick up, right? Forest for the trees, man. Forest for the trees. Yeah. That adds an, an extra element of, of sure. strategy and stuff, but really it's less fun than it is annoying. So I, I like that they've changed that here. Yeah, totally. And you can see what your other teammates have. So um, in addition to your own health and armor display in the bottom left corner, you can see your two teammates and you see a portrait so you can see what class they're playing. You can see their health level, you can see uh, their armor level, and you can see um, all of the uh, gear that they have on, what kind of backpack they have, what kind of chest and helmet they have. So at a glance, you can see, oh, here's a blue helmet. You have a white helmet, right? Because blue is better than white. So I can ping that real quick to you or ping it just to the group. And you can identify like, hey, this is this is better. And I, and I know that it's worth pinging because I can see that you don't have it yet. Right, oh, right, right, right. In addition to that, and this is one of the, the coolest, this is the thing that I was like, oh, that's so smart, <laughs> is each of these character little containers in the bottom left that show your team when one of your teammates fires their weapon, there's a little muzzle flash to the right of of each of the characters. I think there's a picture of it in yeah in, in Charlie's article here. So if you hear gunfire, you can look down and see if it's your team shooting or some other team, right? Mm-hmm. Which is super fucking cool. You can also see from that from that UI, you can see if a teammate is healing or if a teammate oh. is is downed, right? So when you when you get killed initially I'm, I'm doing air quotes so you can't see but when, when you get killed you don't actually get killed you just get knocked down and only when all of your teammates get knocked down do you die uh, as a team but until then you have the opportunity to be revived like they can come over and 
hold a button for a few seconds and hopefully not get shot during that few seconds. And if they complete that, then you get back up with almost no health and have to kind of, you know, reheal yourself, but you're, you're not out of the game entirely. Okay. And even if you do, it's called bleeding out. Like even if your teammate doesn't get to you in that time while you're knocked down in most games, like you're just dead and you have to like sit and watch your teammates play for the rest of the time. In this game, what they do is you drop a loot box with all your stuff when you die, right? But in addition to that, there's a little card that they can pick up and uh, scattered around the map, there are like resur resurrection stations that they can plug this card in and hold a button for a little while and try not to get shot during that time. And if they complete that task, then you fly in essentially naked again, but you're back in the game. <laughs> okay. Naked and very afraid. Yeah, and, and these resurrection stations, um, they, they're surrounded by like low-level gear. So as soon as you drop, assuming no one else has used that station, because they're only one-time use, you can, you can pick up like low-level gear right away. Right, okay. So it's, it's like this really great mechanic for hmm. making sure that you're not just sitting there twiddling your thumbs if you're the worst player on the team. You can come back. That is, seems useful. I think that was... Uh... I don't know. I've, I haven't played that many Battle Royale games, but when I did try, there was this frustration that, I don't know, I guess that's the allure for it for many people. Is there's like, you get one shot. You get one chance at doing this. and Do not um, miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes when, once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. And yo. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I've always gravitated more towards faster-paced games, like like the Overwatches of the world, because... I feel like there's a lot more opportunity to just get better faster if you don't have this like incredible amount of downtime in between, which I can see the opposite point is like you have way more incentive to stay alive if you know that there's going to be a huge amount of downtime in between your next attempt. So I don't know. I could go both ways on that. Yeah, it's a nice middle ground, right? So it isn't as yeah, yeah. as terrible as it could be. It isn't as good as, you know, you don't just automatically respawn like an Overwatch or most other deathmatch style games. But like, there's all these little things that I love. Like, like I mentioned earlier, there's there's a, a voice line for all these things. So if you reload your gun, that means that you're vulnerable during that time, and your character will say reloading. They will they will let your other teammates know. It doesn't matter how close you are. There's no proximity. So even if they're across the map, they can hear what what your um, status is or what your character is saying. But yeah, there's all these little quality of life improvements that can only come by having strong competitors in the same space that you've learned from so so like taking lessons from your from your ancestors right your your, your predecessors and also trying to solve these common problems that haven't been solved yet with very elegant simple solutions like the ping system or like the jump master or like your your team displays in the bottom left giving you all this extra information it's just really really smart i don't think it's a perfect game there's a lot of things that um, could be improved, right? And that and this, this Always, leaves yeah. aside the entire mechanics of the game and how fun the game is and how replayable it is because that's basically all these Battle Royale games are. It's just replay value because every game is different and, you know, but, but you got to keep it fresh so that it doesn't get boring, right? Especially if you're good at the game and you yep. just win all the time, that, that gets boring, which a lot of streamers are very good at this. So um, if you want to maintain that presence online, with your game, you need to make sure that it's replayable because there's a huge amount of like burnout when it comes to playing a game. Like if, if your entire audience expects you to play one game and you get sick of that game, then what happens? Like, do you change the game you're playing and potentially lose your entire audience? And yeah, so 
replayability is super important. So I'm not making any statements about like the quality of the game itself, like the mechanics of the game, but the all these little UI improvements and informational improvements that they've added have just really, it just shows really solid design and a really great understanding of user problems. So I wanted to call it out. Okay, well here, I'm going to end this with a challenge for you, Marshall. I think <laughs> okay. what between the next time or between now and the next time we record, which might be challenging since you're traveling, you should download Apex Legends and play a few rounds and see how the mechanics actually like like where this falls apart in in real world use versus what you think looks really good when watching other people play. I'd be curious to see if there's any difference there, but also I just want to hear how you actually do in the game and like what other things you pick up. I'll probably be terrible. I'm, I'm not good well, at clicking course. on heads. Sure. I'm, I'm really bad at clicking on heads. That's not my. That's why I play walking simulators. <laughs> that's why this is my challenge for you, Marshall. You gotta yeah, okay. play play a couple rounds. It's free to play, anyways, right? Yeah, I, I got some homework. All right. Okay. Yeah, it, it is free to play, and you know, of course, there are loot boxes. There's in-game microtransactions, which is common with every sure. every, <laughs> every free to play yeah. game. That's how they make their money. And that's a whole other aspect of things like the, the value of digital goods that cost real money and allowing the user to feel as though they've gotten that value. There's really like you've bought Overwatch loot boxes before, right? Sure. So when you when you open one, can you describe the process for me? It shakes a lot and then it jumps up and down and your screen shakes and there's a lot of shiny things and there's a, a nice sound they they basically poke and prod at all of your zones that say "Ooh, something interesting and good is happening uh-huh. yeah exactly yeah you, you should try and find a, a video of the um the loot boxes in apex legends opening because they're essentially exactly the same as is overwatch okay and timing and display like the, they're basically exactly the same as overwatch which is good because it fucking works same thing with like hearthstone uh, card packs yeah there must be an art to how long you build tension before revealing the surprise yeah there's this anticipation and a, a ramp up of of yeah of suspense and then a great sound that feels good and colors that is, are associated with those tears yeah, so you can yeah. kind of see what's going to happen before it happens and then, you know, and then it all resolves. Yeah, totally. Uh, which I totally understand also the argument for that being the equivalent of slot machines because it's tickling all the exact same things that a slot mm-hmm. machine tickles, which is like, oh boy, I can't wait to see a good color come up. Absolutely. Yeah, you get, yeah one, of the, one of the things about making slot machines I can, I can attest to is helping the player feel like they won even when they lost. <laughs> oh, right? Okay. Which is the same thing with these loot boxes. Like there's all this pomp and circumstance even if you get a bunch of commons, right? Right. And it right. doesn't feel as good, but there's still that anticipation of like, you know, the box comes on screen and it shakes and lights shoot out and explodes up in the air and these <laughs> things go up and like, oh, uh-huh. you can see the colors and they're about to come down and here they come down. Okay, here's what I got, right? Ooh, shiny things. I'm going to go spend more money. I mm-hmm. love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, but it's about like 10 seconds total that you get for for your money, right? And that dopamine hit, if it's good enough, you continue opening boxes and buy more. And this is how people get addicted to things, which is bad. Oh boy, but, oh boy. But yeah, they push all the buttons to make it feel as though this thing you paid real money for and are not getting anything real for, just in-game stuff, they make it feel like it's worth it. Which, right. uh, like, it's like every aspect of this game that I haven't played uh, seems to be really well <laughs> thought out and they've paid attention to all of their all of the people that came before them, all the games that came before them and they've 
they've taken all the good stuff and they've eschewed all the bad stuff. And it's just a really tight, solid game, it seems. I hope it has legs because I'm, I'm a big fan of competition on, on every level. Okay, well, play it. In two weeks, we'll, we'll have a, a long-term follow-up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for letting me explain all that stuff to you as though you were a five, Brian. That was, yeah, that no, was fun it's, for me to talk about. It's super fun. I think uh, some of the most interesting things for me that's come out of that is like the uh, color scheme that Blizzard has basically like unified across games that orange is is best and white is worse like that common thread through most modern games is really interesting to me um and also what you're saying about like i think that uh, applies to keybinds as well that you know this thing does this type of thing in general every single time is a really interesting pattern and so i guess what would you call that like Sensible defaults. Sensible defaults. The hig of video game interactions is like, yeah, don't, yeah. don't break what people should expect when like Q, Q applies to this type of high impact action, I guess. Exactly. That's cool. Well, thank you, Marshall. No problem. That was, uh, that was fun for me. You want to talk about some cool things now? I do want to talk about some cool things. Let's wrap up. All right. So this week, my cool thing, I think it's actually a couple weeks old. So Julius Tarn, who is... Tarnjareen on Twitter made this wonderful little tool. By the way, Julius is great. He used to work at Facebook and he built some really cool stuff. Anyways, he recently built a product, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, is called Tokimeki Unfollow. Yeah, I saw this. Yeah, did you see this going around Twitter? Yeah, this is great. So I'll, I'll give you the quick premise that he put on the site and then we'll just link to it in the show notes and people can go. So uh, Julius writes... If you're like me, you followed a bajillion counts over your years on Twitter.com. Some of them date back to your first days as an egg when you were probably an entirely different human being. You have some socially obliged followbacks sprinkled among some thought leaders you've outgrown, but you've never found the energy to go through and clean up your followers. <gasps> well, now you get to unfollow those people. So he built a tool <laughs> that basically uh, goes one by one through each person that you're following on Twitter, and it shows their feed, so their latest tweets. And Julius's tool asks you a simple question. It says, does this account bring you joy or does it feel important to you? And if it does, you can hit keep and you can stay following that person or you can immediately unfollow them or you can alternatively add them to a separate list and so i think this is just a really nice way to visualize your following triage it's like you've built up this cruft over the years of people that you randomly followed at one point or maybe you met them in person at some point you felt like you had to well now here's a way to go through and get a ton of context about that person like here's their latest tweets in in a siloed feed and but you only have to click one button go to go to the next person so it's not like you're opening a million tabs from from twitter.com so yeah it is useful it is well designed the utility here makes a ton of sense and uh he provides some really nice explanations as you're going through the process of like why this exists and there's some options that you can set to change the experience like the order in which you go through things so you can you know go oldest first or you can start with the people you've most recently followed uh, you can choose whether or not to show the other person's bio, like if their other if their bio matters to whether or not you follow them. So yeah, lots of cool stuff. Uh, there's keyboard shortcuts. You could actually do all this with you know just one hand, just clicking a few keys and go through and basically clean up your Twitter experience. Yeah, this is, yeah, all of this is great. Plus, it's really smart because it's it's playing off of the uh, Marie Kondo craze that's going yes. on right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like uh, and the name Toki Meki. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. 
is the original word. It says on the, on the page, it's the original word that was translated to spark joy in English, which is what uh, Marie Kondo uses to determine whether or not an item of clothing or a, a, a piece of memorabilia is actually worth it to you. You know, when you when you touch it, does it does it spark joy? Okay, when you look at this person's yeah. feed, like does this spark joy? Do you still want to keep it? Yeah, it's it's great. It's like a digital version of Con Marie. Yeah, exactly. I think that was the inspiration too. So it's great. Everyone should should go through it and spend some time. So good job, Julius, for making this. Yeah, good job. Good cool thing. Well done, Brian. Thanks. All right, hit me with yours. Okay. Well, I changed it at the last second because oh. before we started, I was talking to you and I was telling you that I was packing for this trip that's coming up. And during the trip, I played a somewhat oldie but goodie album that is one of my favorites. And you said that you'd never heard it before. And that is uh, the Hamilton soundtrack from the play. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I extolled the virtues effusively uh, about this on the uh, Vicarious podcast years ago when Hamilton had just for, first come out and I uh, got sucked in real hard. But yeah, it's it's a thing that has stuck with me. I love this album. It's one of my favorites. If if you're unfamiliar, are you, how, how unfamiliar are you with this, Brian? Very unfamiliar. Okay. Are you familiar with the our, our nation's first treasury secretary, Alexander Hamilton? Yeah. Okay, so I, I've heard of this play. I loosely know what it's about, but I've not seen it and I've not listened to this album and... Yeah, I would say I'm like 5% there. Okay, yeah. So, but you've heard of like Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yes, and, yes, yeah. yes. So, okay, yeah. So, it's a play that this guy who is basically a nobody wrote, and it is it is about probably one of the least interesting subjects that you could name if you're writing things or listing things to write a play about. But yes, it's about our nation's first treasury secretary, Alexander Hamilton, and the life and times of him and his family and the things that he went through. The play itself is outstanding. And what's really interesting, so I haven't seen the play ever. The cool thing is, I think the play is maybe like two hours, uh, two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes, something like that. And the soundtrack is two hours and 15 minutes. So it's basically every moment of the play for the most part without some of the stuff in between like is basically in song and is documented in the soundtrack. So you can get the entire story from beginning to end without having to tie too many threads together on your own. Okay. And basically hear the whole play as long as you pay attention. The wordplay is outstanding. It's a hip hop musical uh, performed by people of color about people of whiteness um, <laughs> from our nation's history. Like very, very white people, but the entire cast is people of color, um, which on its own is an interesting thing. But you add the lyricism and the respect for the history of hip hop. There's a lot of, if you're familiar with like the, the works of uh, no the Notorious B.I.G. or Tupac, uh, or a lot of the... Um, kind of old school rappers from back in the day. Um, there's lots of references to those and, and reuses of lines and cadences that you would recognize from older songs if you're familiar with that. So this is a uh, an album I need to pay attention to when I listen. It's not like a background -y kind of thing. Yeah, and if you can, I would recommend reading the lyrics along with it. Okay, it's easy to understand. As you know, it's a it's a musical. It has to be understood well by the audience. But so you can you can understand all the words, but just having them in front of you helps you identify all of the clever wordplay and punnery and repeated themes that occur in multiple songs and mean different things. It's the same phrase or the same tune that gets twisted and means different things as the story evolves. It's so fucking smart, dude. I can't, <laughs> okay. I can't. 
and like it's a tearjerker. Like I almost cry every time I listen to it at a couple different points. It's really, really, really good. I can't, I can't recommend it enough. I wish you were still here in town so that we could sit down for a couple hours and and listen to it together. But you'll have to do that on your own, I guess. Okay, I'll do it on my own. You play, you play a video game, and I'll listen to some hip hop. That sounds great. Ah, uh, it's so good, man. Well, it's great. I think we got two good things uh, and a couple ways for people to spend some time this week. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. We hope you enjoyed listening. Hope you enjoyed our, our deep dive into Apex Legends. If you've been playing and Marshall missed anything because he hasn't played it, tweet at us. We're at Design Details FM. We would love to know what you think of the show and uh, get more advice uh, on Apex or on salary negotiations and and uh, going through the job interview process, that whole thing. I think we, we could always learn more there. So tweet at us. We love those tweets. Uh, if you want it to be private, you can DM us. We, we will either reply or, or talk about it in a future episode. So Thank you, and thank you, of course, to Sarah and Drew, our editors and producers and masterminds behind this show and all the many other shows on the Spec Network, which, by the way, we have a new show on the Spec Network this week. It is React Podcast, hosted by Michael Chan. Michael interviews all the who's who of developers talking about everything React. Uh, So if you're interested in development or the way React is literally changing the way that thousands and millions of people build user interfaces for the web and for mobile, uh, this is going to be a fun podcast for you. So welcome to the network, Michael, if you ever listen to this or make it this far. Uh, Otherwise, if you're still uh, in need of some podcasts for your ears, go to spec.fm, check out React Podcasts, and check out all the other shows that we have on the network. Wherever you get your podcasts, check out spec.fm, the network, or yeah, download React Podcasts. That's it. I think we're done. Cool. Marshall, enjoy your your travels this week. I hope you're not too jet lagged when we talk uh, a week from now. Yeah, me too. I will be though. (laughs) Almost certainly. I I will land like at 3.45 p.m. and we'll probably record around five or six. Oh God. uh, uh, Prepare yourselves for (laughs) a a scattered Marshall next week, listeners. (laughs) Okay. We can try and skew it so that I'll talk a little bit more next week. All right. Enjoy uh, the travels, Marshall. Catch you later. Bye. Australia, I say um, good eye, and that's how they say good eye. Yeah. <laughs> here's a here's a fun little thing. Say rise up lights. Rise up lights. That's how you say <laughs> raise, razor blades in Australia. <laughs> rise up lights. <laughs>